Okay, Judges 16, starting from verse 1. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, At dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings, that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, All this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with a pin... I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with the pin. Again she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man.
When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to celebrate, saying, Our god has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their god, saying, Our god has delivered our enemy into our hands the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. The next reading is from 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God... The world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. 
Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Uh, It would be a great help if you um, have the passage in Judges 16 um, open, and we're going to work our way through that story. Well, if you're a Christian here tonight, I wonder, have you ever felt like you're the only one? Been in a situation where you're the only one who is different. Sarah's in her first year. As far as she knows, uh, she's the only Christian in her course, and she's definitely the only Christian amongst her group of friends. Uh, One weekend, they invite her to a party, and Sarah knows that they're all just going to get drunk, but she wants to hang out with her friends, and she knows that she can't join in with what they're doing. You know, she's got church the next morning, she's got to get up early, uh, but she wants to be there. So she goes along. Uh, Turns out it's not most of them who are getting drunk, it's all of them. She's the only one not drinking hard, not joining in with all the stuff they're doing. And at the start of the night, uh, she gets teased a bit for it, and by the end, they are just writing her off. No one's really talking to her, and so she leaves. The only one leaving early. Now, that's a made-up story. Sarah's not a real person. But I wonder if something like that has happened to you. Uh, Maybe it's not drinking at a party. Maybe it's some other situation where you're the only Christian, the only one living differently. I reckon it's super common. I've had three conversations just this week with some variation of that story, either at work or at uni, uh, amongst a group of friends. And Samson is like that. He's the only one. Chapter 16 of Judges breaks down in three parts. Um, We've got the Gaza gates. Oh, here we go. Let's see if I can get my slides up. Oh, there we go. Samson. Can I get it on there as well, Lance? That would be amazing. Uh, So we've got three parts in the Samson story. The Gaza gates, the game of lies, and the great reversal. Are we a bit boomy on the mic as well? We're good. We're good. Uh, Okay, so we're going to dig in to chapter 16 and we'll work our way through here. Firstly, the Gaza gates. Uh, There in verses 1 to 3. Samson is nothing if not consistent. Uh, It says he saw a prostitute. Uh, He's like an animal. He sees something, he chases it, he goes after it, he takes what he wants. Uh, And again... He's just doing whatever seems right in his own eyes. Uh, But notice where he is. He's in Gaza. Uh, Now, Gaza is the capital city of Philistine. Now, remember from last week, Samson is meant to be a Nazarite. He is uh, a man uh, who is dedicated to God from birth. And so here he is in the capital city of Philistine, He rolls in and he sleeps with a Philistine prostitute. 
He really is a piece of work. And the Philistines, they think, all right, this is it. We've got Samson here. We've got him. Yeah, they figure it's probably a bit risky just to take him head on, so they wait. They don't want to do it at night. They wait till the morning. But Samson, he doesn't wait till the morning. He is definitely not a gentleman. Uh, He gets up, he busts out, he tears out the city gate, uh, the posts, the bar, everything, rips it out uh, and just walks off with it. It's this insane show of strength right there in front of the Philistines. There, uh, it says uh, there in the text that they're waiting for him at the city gate. That is, they're, they're in the guardhouses on either side of the, of the wall between the, uh, either side of the gate. And they just, they're in there. They hear this splintering explosion as the gates get ripped out in this show of strength. But that's not actually the most amazing thing that happens there. Have a look with me. Verse 3, what happens next? He lifted them to his shoulders... And carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. That's 60 kilometres. 60 kilometres. I couldn't drag my uh, gates just down to the end of the street. And I'd be exhausted, right? He carries these massive city gates all the way from the Philistine capital, all the way into the heart of Israel. He drags these gates for days and days. He's committed to this. This is a project that he wants to see through. And he drags them all the way to the hill opposite this major city there in Israel. And he dumps them in full view. See, it's a show of strength. But it's a show of strength to Israel. See, city gates were the symbol of security for a city. And Samson has just gone into the Philistine capital and ripped out their gates. And he leaves them defenceless. And he, he drags these gates all the way in front of the, the Israelite city and he throws them down in front of the people of Judah. And it's like he's throwing down a challenge. He says, isn't anyone going to attack these guys? Am I the only one? Am I the only one brave enough to take them on? It's a show of strength, but not a show of strength to the Philistines. It's a show of strength to the Israelites. It's a challenge to stand up to these enemies of God. But they don't. Even with the gates down, they don't do anything. It's just Samson, all alone. That's scene one, the Gaza gates, a show of strength. Scene two is a game of lies. And Samson is nothing if not consistent. Uh, It seems he has one fatal weakness and it's the ladies. Uh, this time, it's even worse. He falls in love. Uh, he's in love with Delilah, but they both have a secret. They both have a secret. He has the secret of his great strength, but she has 1,100 shekels worth of secrets on offer from the Philistine leaders. And it's a game of lies. They both kind of dance around each other, kind of testing each other out, trying to find out these secrets. Did you notice that? He clearly doesn't trust her, right? He lies to her three times. But she doesn't trust him either. She's got men hidden in the room. 
Um, but she doesn't bring them out. She just kind of tests him each time and says, Oh, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Oh, no, just joking. No, not this time. She doesn't trust him either. And it is, it's like a game between them. Now, remember, he's in love with her. And so she plays on that. Look at verse 15. Then she said to him, How can you say, I love you? How can you say, I love you, when you won't confide in me? See, this secret's getting in the way of us. If you loved me, you'd share it with me. And then we'd be close. See, Samson has a fatal weakness. And so she nags. She presses on and on until he's sick to death of it. Until verse 17 says this so he told her everything no razor has ever been used on my head he said because i've been a nazarite dedicated to god from my mother's womb if my head were shaved my strength would leave me and i would become as weak as any other man here it is the big reveal samson reveals his secret to delilah but it's a reveal in another way as well See, back in chapter 13, an angel tells Samson's mum that uh, he's to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God. But if you read through from chapter 13 all the way through, you never really find out if Samson knows that. Uh, He never acts like a Nazarite. Uh, He never talks about being a Nazarite. And until now, we don't actually know if he knows what he's all about. But here is the reveal. We find out that he's known about it the whole time. He knows what makes him strong. The hair is the thing, right? It's the final symbol of his Nazarite vow. The thing that connects him to God and to God and to God's strength. That is the secret of his strength. He knows all that. So why does he give it up? Why does he give it up when he knows that that's going to be the end of him as a Nazarite and the end of his strength? Well, in the end, I think that's exactly the point. He knows that'll be the end. See how he describes it. He says, if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. That's what he says every time. I become as weak as any other man. In the end, I think he just doesn't want to be different anymore. He just wants to be like any other man. He wants to be like the men of Judah who just hide away. See, his fatal weakness isn't women. His fatal weakness is his own resistance to his calling to belong to God, to be dedicated to God. He was sick to death of it. Sick of being different, sick of being set apart. See, do you ever feel like Samson feels here? Do you ever feel like him? He doesn't want to be the only one not drinking at parties. He doesn't want to be the only one not moving in with his girlfriend. He doesn't want to be the only one not spending money however he wants and travelling and buying expensive clothes. He doesn't want to be different. He wants to be the same as everyone else. 
Do you ever feel like that? And so he tells his secret. Uh, Literally, it says, he told her his whole heart. He takes intimacy with Delilah, but he gives up his dedication to God. And so he gives up his specialness. And in the end, he gets what he wants. He becomes like any other man. And so they capture him and they put out his eyes. This man who took everything that he saw now has his eyes taken from him. And they put him to work grinding grain. This man who just worked on animal instinct is now reduced to working like an animal. And that's where we reach the low point. But verse 22 tells you that's not the end of the story. Because in a tiny little way, it just mentions that if you cut your hair, it'll grow back. And that brings us to our final episode of Samson's life, The Great Reversal. There we go. The Great Reversal. We've seen... Oh, we've jumped too far. I got delay. Uh, We've seen The Gates of Gaza, Show of Strength. We've seen The Game of Lies, uh, His Fatal Weakness. And finally, we come to the great reversal, the God who wins through weakness. So far, what's happened is that uh, the fighting has been between Samson and the Philistines. Uh, But verse 23 tells us what's really going on here. The battle is really between God and Dagon. Have a look, verse 23. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to celebrate saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. Again, back in chapter 13, uh, the angel literally told uh, Samson's mum that Samson will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And now the Philistines are celebrating because Dagon has delivered Samson into their hands. Dagon wins. Dagon wins. Verse 24 is a song of praise to Dagon right there in the Bible. Isn't that astonishing? And they bring Samson out as entertainment, publicly shamed, ridiculed, mocked, forced to perform for them, led about by a servant boy, so weak he has to ask for help to find a pillar to lean against. But... You know it's coming, right? The great reversal. Out of this moment of shame and ridicule, God is going to win a tremendous victory. Uh, Verse 28. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me. Strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. It's not a good prayer, right? Uh, it's, it's, he's really just praying for revenge. God, help me get revenge. He cares more about his own eyes than God's honour. But he does pray. Samson's learnt something through this process. He's learnt that strength comes from God. Strength comes from God and that even in his weakness, he can call on God to strengthen him. 
And God does strengthen him. And the pillars come down and God wins a great victory. Dagon is actually useless here, right? I think that's why they put that song of praise. It's kind of like a bit of a joke. See, the Philistines come off looking like idiots. They are the ones who bring him in. They put him right up there between the pillars. They even help him to put his hands on the pillars. And they do everything for him. And so the Philistine leaders and even Dagon himself, they're all crushed, destroyed by this one blind, weak man standing there all alone. See, God's victory comes through weakness, through the shame and the humiliation of this one man standing alone. And God's victory comes through the death of this one man. It's a picture of how God works, that God wins through weakness to show that the power comes from him alone. And God saves people through the death of one man. And if you're a Christian, then you'll recognise that's the exact pattern of the cross, isn't it? That's how Jesus wins, through his death, through his shame and humiliation. Think about it. Here we go. Let's uh, compare Jesus and Samson. Uh, Both of them betrayed by someone uh, that they love in return for a reward of silver. And just like Samson, uh, the cross is the great reversal. See, it looks like Jesus has lost. His disciples have deserted him. Soldiers mock him. They spit on him. The cross is the ultimate moment of shame and humiliation. He looks like Samson looks in the middle of this temple in Gaza. But the cross is God's great reversal. It looks like defeat, but it's actually the moment of greatest victory because it's through Jesus' death that he defeats Sin, he pays the penalty for sin. And so he releases people from paying that penalty. God's ultimate victory over sin is through the death of Jesus, through his shame and humiliation. Samson sets the pattern for Jesus, the one man who stands alone, one man who dies to bring bring God's victory and deliver his people. Isn't that great? Samson sets the pattern for Jesus, but also have a look at the differences. See, Samson is not like Jesus. Uh, Samson's fatal weakness is that he just wants to be like other men. And so he gives up his specialness, gives up his dedication to God. But Jesus never does that. His life was fully dedicated to God, marked by holiness and obedience all the way to death on the cross. And look at the difference in Jesus' heart, his motivation. In his death, Samson prays for revenge. But Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And look at his love. Samson 
presses his hands against the pillars and he says, let me die with the Philistines. And Jesus holds his hands out on the cross and he dies instead of his enemies. Jesus is the true and better Samson. The true and better hero. And that changes everything for people like you and me. Changes everything for people like you and me. Because it means that we're not trying to be the hero, right? We don't have to try and be Samson. Actually, if you think through the Samson story, you know who we're most like? We're not like Samson. We're like Israel. We're like Israel. Trapped by fear, stuck in sin. Just hopeless, just staring out at the big scary gates and just with no courage to tackle the spiritual enemies that are set against us. Completely hopeless. But we have a hero. We have Jesus who comes in, who stands alone on our behalf, who defeats sin for us, who wins through his weakness, through his shame and humiliation. And it's him we need to remember. So we start tonight uh, thinking about what it's like when you're the only one, the only one living differently. And it's hard. It's hard to be the only one not drinking, the only one not swearing, the only one not joining in on the gossip. It's really hard. And it's something that we fail at time after time after time. We don't live that holy life. We don't live that, that set-apart, dedicated-to-God life that we should. But Jesus has already done it. He's done it, hasn't he? He's lived that holy life, dedicated to God. He's been the only one. He's actually experienced that, where it's really just him, the only one. And he stood there and suffered the shame and humiliation and even death for our sake. And that means that you're never the only one. You're really not. However hard it feels in that moment, Jesus has been there already. He's tasted that same difficulty. He's tasted that same experience of being the only one standing for God when everyone else is set against you. And so our life is really just to follow in his footsteps, to keep going. We live differently because he's done it first. He's blazed the trail for us. And when we fail, which you know that we will, his death has already secured forgiveness for us. So when you face that situation, when you feel like you're the only one, when you have that kind of Samson-type feeling. Don't give up. Don't be scared to live differently. Don't be scared to live dedicated to God because we know what Jesus has already done and because we know uh, that we're never the only one to go through that.